fan of No Pink Spandex, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash No Pink Spandex. We've got some great content for you coming out in August. So make sure you don't miss out. YouTube.com slash No Pink Spandex. Lisa J here with another episode of No Pink Spandex, and I am joined by my co-host, just one today, Brandon. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I, I'm well. You know, like you know, we we we're we're down to. Yeah, <laughs> we're, yeah, we're down yeah. to. Um, <laughs> you know, some technical difficulties, and you know, some things. But we are going <laughs> to have a wonderful show because we are. We have a very special guest here now. Uh, now she had has many titles, okay, many titles in this industry, and uh, you know I'm just gonna say she's the jack of all trades. That she's the well, not the jack. I mean, you know the <laughs> the, the, the Jackie of all trades. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, Jackie. Okay. <laughs> but uh, uh, she has has been such an instrument to our franchise that is Power Rangers. And I would like to welcome to the show, Melissa Flores. Welcome. Hello. You know, I was wondering why there was only two of you. Okay. I I was like, I swear I've heard more of these people (laughs) on this podcast. What happened? Yeah. Insulted. Uh, no, I, I mean, legit. It was like, literally, I'm getting texts like, my internet is laggy. I'm sorry. There's, I have a guy coming out tomorrow. I'm like, oh, but listen, we will always welcome you back and then we'll bring full force. Okay. All no, the time. I mean, I, I, I'm going to remember who was here. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm being a complete brat. I really don't mean it. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I'm going I'm to edit that part out and then just send it to them. <laughs> Great. Great. They're going to hate me. It's going it. to be wonderful. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Melissa, you, let me tell you something. I'm going to, I'm just going to start with a little story. You know, I'm just going to, you know, we're going to do a laugh. Um, so I remember the first time I met you, it yeah. was, it was in, I believe it was San Diego Comic-Con mm-hmm. and we were in a dark room with lights and, um, I don't know if there's pyrotechnics or, you know, go-go dances or something, but it was one of those, like, after parties for San Diego well, that, um... It was Legacy Wars. Yes! No. Was it Legacy Wars? It was, yeah, it was the... It was the Street Fighter Showdown yes, premiere party. Yes, yes. Yeah. It was that. And I'm just like... Was it go-go dancers? <laughs> I don't listen. I mean, there were so, so many things that happened in there. It was fancy. Lionsgate went well out. Yes, no, it was, yes, of course. Like, I mean, like, they had, like, displays and everything. It was wonderful. I don't think there was go-go dancing. But... <laughs> I don't I mean, remember. I would love them. You know, that would be great. Uh, but I remember meeting you, and I'm just like, oh, look, a woman. It's <laughs> <And I> can... <laughs> great, you know? You know, if I get that intro everywhere I go, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> a woman is here. I'm like, yep, here I am. Oh, my gosh, because it's because it was ref- it's refreshing because like I um I was there with Karen Ashley uh, and it, it was just like I was just like okay well you know everybody knows Karen and I'm just like but like the people behind the scenes the people who keep the franchise going in terms of 
all the intricacies like that that is what i believe that you know we would like to see more of and like not necessarily give away all y'all trade secrets now but like it's really good to hear from you so i'm so glad that you have joined us on the show today Mm -hmm. now let's get let's start off with you know just a little bit about you you know yeah and uh and a little bit about like where you grew up you know your background that sort of thing oh okay i like this i can tell my life story and pretend it's interesting. Um, so I, I was—I grew up in LA. Um, my mother was a migrant worker. My dad was an immigrant. Um, well, she wasn't a migrant worker. My my dad, mom's dad, was a migrant worker, and so um, she moved around a lot. And so um, she met my dad, and she just got tired of moving around. So they got married. They had kids. Came here to LA. Um, grew up in the inner city. Now I. I guess you could call it the ghetto, but honestly, it never really felt like the ghetto. Like the ghetto was maybe 50 streets down. You know, we kind of lived in just a lower class neighborhood. But my mom was really concerned about making sure everybody got an education. So um, she found a very small Christian private school that, um, you know, you had all these rich people would send money to sponsor these kids to go to the school in the inner city. And it was called the Los Angeles Christian School. And so um, I would have a sponsor. And so I was there for grade school. And then from grade school, I got into the California, after grade school and to high school, I got into the California Academy of Math and Science. And I truly thought I was going to be an engineer or a doctor or something. And then I discovered I had ADHD. And that was not helpful in that situation at all. Um, But because it was a math and science school, we had to take college classes and it was on a college campus. And so I think that the science part of my brain just got so scienced out that by the time I got to college, I was like, screw all that. Um, I got an internship at Nissan. I'm like, oh, this will be interesting. I can really learn what it looks like to be an engineer. And what I learned is like single most boring thing in the world. Like I could just never do it. Um, and it was at the time when, you know, I, I grew up in a very Hispanic household. It wasn't like something that you would embrace to be like, oh, I have ADHD. It was like, no, you don't. You're just lazy. You don't study. Mm. You know, um, so it was really difficult me go, for me to go to that school. I did fine, but everybody else did well. You know what I mean? Like there were people that were so smart in that school. And I was I was a smart kid, but I was not a genius. Not when it came to that kind of stuff. And so um, when I went to college, I got into USC. I had to get into USC because my mom worked at USC and you get free tuition if you work at USC and you get in. So it was like, we can't afford to send you to school. So you need to go to USC. Uh, so all three of us went and me and my two sisters, we all went to USC. I majored in communication. And then after that, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I actually was, um, I started out as a receptionist for, uh, a company called Vanis films. And I don't know, this might be before you guys' time. I might be dating myself. It was, um, they did Annie's biography. (laughs) I don't know if you remember Annie's biography. And it was basically these hour long shows where they would do biographies of these like old, like 40s and 30s stars and um and so i got promoted to a pa from there and all that time i kind of had discovered fan fiction and writing in general and just i'd always been obsessed with tv and so i always knew i wanted to be somehow involved in the tv world but because i never really got i don't think i ever really had the confidence to really dive deep in there because every time i went to these private schools there was always these people that had you know literally grown up on stage 
or especially USC, you know, the film school and the theater school, you know, these people like they were groomed for it since childhood. Mm -hmm. I never really felt the confidence to really pursue it. So I was kind of on the edge. Um, I ended up at FX um, in research for three years and then I transferred and became a, a creative development assistant um, in current. I was under two, two man a manager and director there. I was there for three years. It was the single hardest job I've ever had in my life. Um, they had, that was right when John Landgraf got there. So they had amazing, amazing stuff. They had just nip tuck. They had rescue me. They had the shield, uh, oh, um, okay. dirt, uh, damages. And so I got to like, listen on calls with these amazing, amazing people. But I also, there's a lot of egos there. And one thing, um, that is uncool about that industry is when you're an assistant, you get paid nothing and you work the longest hours and, um, and everybody is trying like backstabbing each other to try to get a promotion. And it just was not my, my vibe at all. Like I was not into it. I'm like, I don't even really like current development. I'd rather want to be on the more creative side anyways. So, um, I went to work for HBO for a little bit, but the whole time I was trying to get a writer's assistant job. And, um, and unfortunately that was right when the writer strike happened. And, oh, what year uh, was that again? Oh God, don't make me say it. Um, <laughs> It was it was a good 10 15 years ago. I mean, we could least. always Google, you know what I'm you saying? Know, <laughs> you can figure it out. I honestly don't remember, but it was a while yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was after 9/11, but before this this previous writer strike that just happened. And um and so I tried to get a job as a writer's assistant, but it was a different time and it was really difficult for me as a woman to get into a lot of these rooms. Um I just kept running into like one thing after another, like the first, you know, either I don't, I'm not going to name specific shows. Cause I think that's not, you know, it's not really, I don't want to do that. But like there was one room where it was between me and the guy. And I remember in the interview being like, well, we don't know if we really want a girl in the room because you know, it's all guys in here and we can be pretty, un, you know, uncouth and we don't want, you know, their sensibilities to get, you know, we don't want you to feel uncomfortable, you know? And so they gave it to the guy. Um, there was another wow. time I got really close to another job and they're like, no, you're way too, but like, so that was frustrating. And then at the other time I'd get like, you know, really close. I'd have to like, I'd submit coverage. And then I had the executive be like, this is the best coverage I've ever seen in my life. You do not deserve to be assistant. You should be a manager at this point. I can't hire you because you're going to be bored and you shouldn't be doing this. I'm like, well, unless you hire me, I'm not going to get this. Exactly. Like, I'm not going to be so it got really frustrating. And I think, um, you know, I had college loans, you know, cause I had gotten my master's through all of this. I had lived on campus and like to mom's tuition only, I mean, the tuition for the school only paid tuition. It didn't pay anything else. Like fees so, and things. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so I had gotten scholarships, but it wasn't enough. And, you know, so I ended up just being like, screw it. I'll just write on my own and work an executive assistant job somewhere that is not the entertainment industry because it's a very different experience. You get paid four times more and you get to leave at five o'clock, you know? Um, and so that is how I ended up at Saban Capital Group. And so oh. I was at Saban Capital Group, um, which is Heim's company. I was under a director there of finance. He was great. Um, it was a very cushy job. You know, they treated, I mean, Heim treats his employees very well. Um, shocker. I know. And I know a lot of people think differently, but when it comes to, you know, my experience with him, it's always, he's always treated us very well. You know, he had these amazing Christmas parties at his house and we got an amazing bonuses. Like I, um, 
he's always been very lovely to me. And, um, but I got bored. It was three years and I was like, okay, I'm done here. This is, I, I, I miss the industry. I want to go back. So I talked to a general counsel there who I had come really close to. And I was like, Hey, I'm getting a little bored. I think I'm going to go and try to get back in the industry. And she's like, well, we might actually have a job for you here. And that was right when they uh, had started Saban Brands. So I interviewed with Brian Cosentini um, and it was actually for a distribution job. It was for a job in distribution, and which is very different from what uh, a creative job would be. The distribution people, they're the ones when the show is done, they're the ones that make sure that you have all the tapes, that you make sure you, you dub it, that you translate it, that you distribute it everywhere it needs to go, mm. right? So they're the ones that handle all the hardware and mm. all the tapes. Um, he was like, well, you know, you have all this experience in creative and you have these creative instincts. He's like, why don't we just change the job? And so he um, changed the job and he had me put me in his department as a, um, in the development and production department. And then, um, and so for about maybe six months to a year, it was just me and him working on Power Rangers and um, Paul Frank and a bunch of other brands. And it was, it was, it was hard. <laughs> it was, I've never worked so hard in my life, but it was great because I didn't know anything about Power Rangers at the time. And so it was kind of like the biggest, like the Power Rangers boot camp. You know, you just started learning about everything about Power Rangers. I like, there was nobody else to do the work. So I did everything. And Brian was fantastic. You know, he promoted me after a few months and, and I just kept getting promoted um, until finally, I would say maybe three years ago, I was just getting overwhelmed with so much work because at the time they had split, we had gotten so big that they had split the department. So it was just a Power Rangers department and then everything else. And I was the only one doing both jobs. Oh. I was doing Power Rangers and development. And production. So I had two bosses. I had Brian, I had Rich and I was doing Glitter Force and Digimon. And I was doing Power Rangers. And so it was just getting too much. So I basically asked to transfer to just Power Rangers since that's the one I knew the best. Um, and so then I became the just Power Rangers. And so uh, about a year or two after that, um, Hasbro bought out Power Rangers. So I went with Hasbro. Um, and then I was with Hasbro for two years and now I'm not. And that was kind of the trajectory of my career. Okay. Up until now. All right. So pause, pause. I have, we have many questions. All right. So let's just double back a little bit. Just double back oh, we're not bit. done. Yeah. 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 No, that, no you're yeah, not we... done. No, we think uh, we got some oh, no. more time. <laughs> so first off that just like bing, 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 bing in my head. Okay. Uh, you mentioned fan fiction. What did you write? Girl, I'm not going to tell you. No. Look, what? You look, you probably find it. Oh gosh, not even a hint, not okay. even a hint. You could probably find it. I will tell you offline. How's that? There, okay. All right. Fair okay, enough. Okay. Fair enough. But okay. Cool, 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 cool. Um, it was, I mean, it was, I'm not saying it was good, but <laughs> what I will say <laughs> is that you are going to find, um, especially in comic books, and you're seeing a lot of it in the She-Ra fandom, you are finding more and more females who grew up in fandom who are now professionals in the in the field and it really does like these are the women and i think i actually retreated a really amazing thread about it pretty earlier like i learned story because of fan fiction i learned pacing and dialogue like i will always say like there is some of the best stuff you'll ever read is it ruined books for me like it ruined yeah. regular books for me because there are stories that like are the most amazing things you've ever read 
and they're they're not seeing as amazing because they're fan fiction. And because then like I'll read the, some Yeah, of the nomenclature. Oh, it's fan fiction, so it's yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you can talk to Daphna, Marguerite, like all, you know, Noel, all these women, you know, we grew up in fandom and it shows. So it's definitely not as isolated as you think, for sure. Okay, good to know. Good to know. Um, all right. All right. So second little, little follow up question. Okay. The, the many jobs that you have gotten. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, well, the almost job, the, in terms of when you were going to, uh, when you were going to get that, uh, it was supposed to be the distribution, uh, uh, title. And then <laughs> Cassantini was like, eh, nah, let's not do that. Um, yeah. cause a lot of, I guess what, what a lot of people are, uh, some of the fans are always wondering in terms of the process of getting, retrieving the show, right. Mm-hmm. From, a toy and then the process of it getting to United States what it has to be dubbed or this or that or subtitles or that like how, what is the process of that in general okay. just to give well, a better I'm going to speak generally because I'm still under NDA from Hasbro and yes. some of the things are exactly the same so I'm not going to you know put them in the position where they're going to be like whether that's true or not I don't know if it's changed honestly I don't know how Power Rangers works now mm. but the way it did um was you know we have an amazing relationship with toei the the executives there are some of my favorite in the world every time i would go to japan um they were literally my like i would they're the best i love them so much but um i had the best sushi in my life with them but you know they stay in close communication you know um and so essentially the way it would always work is you would have you know your choices of whatever season you know um sometimes we you know later more than earlier we would actually get a little heads up as to what the seasons were going to be you know um and then you decide as a team so you've got your marketing team you've got your product team you've got your distribution team you've got your development and production team you've got the franchise team all these people who basically have eggs in this basket and everybody has an opinion and so you basically sit in a room and decide along with the executive producer what's going to be the best season what's going to be the most marketable what's going to have the best opportunity for toys based on trends based on this based on that there's a thousand different things you know d- points of discussion then it's decided whatever season that's going to be. So for something like Beast Morphers, which I know a lot of people, Beast Morphers had always been in contention. You know, people had always, we'd always wanted to do Beast Morphers. It just so happened that, you know, one season, it just made more sense to do dinosaurs. Mm. But um, mm, Beast Morphers okay. was always something we wanted to do. And, um, and so it was kind of up to the point where it was just like, okay, why can't we do Beast Morphers? Why can't we go back to go busters? And we did. So it's nothing, nothing is ever out. It's always a discussion. Um, and so then once that happens, then, you know, uh, we would have let Toei know what's what season we wanted to use. They would, you know, give us the footage and then our production team would scrub it and, you know, then decide based on that, what kind of story. And then again, it's all team based. It's all discussion. Everybody's got their, everybody's got their point of view and everybody's got their, um, their strengths 
and what they want coming out of it. And it's just a matter of putting it all together into something that makes sense. So, you know, you have our executive producer and his team of writers that's going to be like, this is a story we want to tell. And then you'll have, you know, the development and production team giving their opinion and you have the product team giving their opinion and you've got the studio. Like it really just, it's, um, it really just depends on what the, what, what, what the needs are at the time. Um, and then you put together the show and once the show is put together, then it gets over, it gets sent to distribution who sells the show and it gets to marketing who markets the show, but everybody is always informed of what's going on so that they know the best way to try and get the show to succeed. Um, at the end of the day, you know, I mean, I think even Heim was really heavily involved in those, you know, in those early seasons. So really, uh, it really is one big machine of just a bunch of people doing everything they can to make the show a success based on what they feel those needs are at the time. Does that make sense? It does. Yes. It does. I, I do have a question though. Yeah. Um, it, it's so it's, it's not, cause I know there was a misconception that um, you had to follow whatever season was going to come up that following year. Yeah, I don't that's know how the these rumors get started, y'all, man. There's rumors that are out there that I remember even when I was working at Saban, I'm like, where is this information coming from and why do people think it's true? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think the one that like really there was one that really bugged me and I don't even remember which one it was and I was just like, it's not my job, it's not my job I'm going to keep my mouth shut about it, but it's wrong. I don't remember. I'll have to think about which one that was. Um no, I mean, sometimes it just was the easiest thing to do, right? But mm -hmm. um, because, you know, when you're working with early Saban and with Disney and all that, there was no other choice, right? You're just taking whatever season comes next. That's just what right. happens. But with Saban brands, they moved to the two-a-year model. Mm -hmm. So you keep the same theme for two years, and then you have more choices, right? And so you don't necessarily just have to go with the next one. If you have a choice, you're going to look at those choices and decide what's best for the Western market or the international market gotcha. than just picking the next one. It was never, you have to pick this one. That's not the relationship that we had. Another question that pops up so many times, like, huh? <laughs> so maybe that you can just <laughs> explain for us, you just little folk over here, uh, oh, in terms of the hierarchy in terms of who answers to whom like who which department and i know you touched about touched on that a little bit in terms of uh you were handling at one point power rangers and everything else under saban brands and then you know so like how did it work back with saban and who would answer to whom and who like who's 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 boss <laughs> in oh a my sense God. you guys are gonna get me in trouble <laughs> It doesn't really work that way. It's not like a, I'm in charge, the buck stops here kind of situation. I mean, at the end of the day, it's Saban. Haim owns Saban Brands, so Haim is the one in charge, mm -hmm. right? And we have mm -hmm. a, you know, we had a president or a CEO. Then it was them. They were in charge, okay. you know? Um, but really, everybody had their area of expertise, and it wasn't ever, a, well, I'm, I'm, I'm the boss, so you have to do what I say kind of situation. It was... Um, it really, truly was a team dynamic. Like I remember very vividly sitting in rooms and the head of marketing was there and the head of um, the head of product design and the head of licensing and the head of distribution. And everybody was sitting there putting their 
thoughts and and the decision was always come together. So like when we were working in development and production, it was we were we were also approaching it from a franchise perspective, but it wasn't ever like we were the ones that were being like, no, 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 this is it. We're done. Like this is the situation, and you guys are gonna do what we tell you to. It does. You can't work that way, right? Because especially in a franchise like Power Rangers, where you have so many different departments and so many different things that go into making a successful franchise. And we're talking about beyond just a show, right? right, right. We're talking about, yeah, there's a TV show, but by the end, you know, we started at Savon Brands, there was just a TV show. By the time we ended, there was a TV show, there was a movie, there was a comic book series, there was a publishing initiative, there was video games, there was, you know, more like toys. It's so it was not just, you know, we're, we make the TV show. So we're in charge. That's not how it worked. You can't make the TV show. The TV show does not make sense unless you sell toys and you can't sell toys unless there's a TV show and you can't make either unless there's marketing. And you know, you can't, if you don't distribute the show correctly, then nobody's going to see the show. So it's all work. Everybody works together. Nobody, at least at Saban Brands, I, 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 again, I'm hesitant to pick a Hasbro because I'm not there anymore and it's not right. my place. Right. But, right. Um, but especially at Saban Brands and, and when I was at Hasbro, it's very much a team-oriented discussion. It is never uh, the buck stops with this person. You know, it's always you know these decisions come together and then they get taken to you know the president and to Heim or whoever if you know, that decision is big enough, but it was never a situation of, you know, it's all Brian all the time or it's all me. Like, no, okay. like that's, okay. that's not the case. Um, yeah, there was things that, you know, we particularly worked, but even the comic books, you know, we weren't, the comics book didn't come specifically in our department. We were development and production. Their department, the department was licensing and, and, um, and development like toy development you know, and product development. And so we worked with them. So they were giving notes alongside of me, mm, you know? Okay. So it's, it's, it, it is always extremely team-based. It's just, you know, there's a couple of us who were lucky enough to be a little more front-facing than some other people who were just working and, and not really being involved with the fans. Okay, so this is all good to know. I'm so, so, so this is why this is why you're here, right? Because I mean, the, I mean, a lot of a lot of um a lot of fans who either either want to aspire to get into the business, either want to, you know, they always either want to be a writer or something like that. But like, there are so many other aspects of the business that people may not be aware of in which that you can impart your your knowledge your expertise your oh your, absolutely you know so like it's just some it's just i always i'm always a proponent of just like just bring yeah. on more people to talk about what they actually did uh so i know brandon has a particular question okay okay number five brandon number five okay. oh, i'm about to say girl which one girl <laughs> <laughs> oh my god there's a list so, oh yeah, we came prepared. Is... We came prepared. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so what was a normal day like for you when you were working for Saban slash Hasbro? Like I mean, pick a year. Um I think what I loved so much about my job at Saban at Hasbro for Power Rangers is that no day was really the same. 
because by the end of it, I started as just a regular executive, you know, like you would work at any network or, or studio. Um, but by the end of it, I was the, I wasn't a TV executive. I was the Power Rangers development and production executive. And so what that meant for me was that um, by the end of it, the way that I would try to explain my job was that if there was a story involved for, you know, that required mythology and cohesion, that's when I would get involved um, or my department would get involved. Um, and there was obviously more than just me. It was me. There was Paul. There was Brian. Um, so a typical day really just depended on what we had going on that time. You know, like if there was, you know, Legacy Wars was coming up, then, you know, a lot of times we'd be having calls with with the the gaming team and the product team and talking about, well, what characters are coming up or, you know, Hey, we want to add this character, you know, the street fighter integration. It was like, okay, how do we make that feel organic? How do we, you know, what kind of story can we bring in? Um, mm. The comic books, it was, you know, I mean, I worked with Daphna and her team and Ryan and Kyle for years. And it was a lot of, you know, here's the premise, here's the script, here's, you know, the designs. Hey, Melissa, what happened here? Like, it was just, it's just a matter of trying to make sure every single story makes sense. Um, the TV show was a little more autonomous. Like, uh, I didn't get really involved as, I, I was involved day to day, but I didn't get as creatively involved um, until Beast Morphers. Oh. But... Um, but the TV show, you know, you get the dailies, you get the scripts, you get, um, you know, when you're setting up pre-pro, you get set designs, you get monsters, you, you're getting them, you know, if we have costumes over here and they're saying we want to do this, then, you know, or you like, for example, uh, I don't know if it's aired, but I think it has the monster episode. Um, then it would be, you know, hey. We usually do. We usually do a flat, you know, a couple of clip show episodes. Can one of those clip shows be about monsters? And you know, that'd be a question that comes from like a franchise team. And and then so then it'd be like, okay, what monsters? And we'd sit there and deliberate which monsters. And we actually, you know, in that particular situation, Chip and his team asked us to actually deliver, give them footage. So it was looking at every single bit of footage and then giving them time code and being like, okay, here's here's their stories. You know, it really depended on what was asked on that day. It could be, oh. it could be anything. You know, when we're developing the movie, um, I'd be at Lionsgate a lot. <laughs> you know, we were meeting writers. <laughs> we were, you know, meeting with the director, looking at cuts. Um, you know, Street Fighter Showdown, I was either on set or I was working with Bat in the Sun. Like, it really just depended on the day. Like, ne no one day was the same. It just, it, my work was get the job done and move on. <laughs> So sense? yes. Now you did mention the Bat in the Sun, um, the Bat in the Sun one. So you actually had part in that as well. Not the not the ones that they did by themselves. So not the Ryu versus Scorpion or whatever, or the, gotcha. the or Scorpion versus Green Ranger. But we when we were introducing the the Street Fighter characters to Legacy Wars. We wanted to give their have there be a reason for those characters to exist in there, and so um, mm. I developed a story um, that at first we were just going to use you know little um, cards and animation in the game, but we I know Lionsgate wanted to blow up it a little more, so we did a short film called Street Fighter Showdown with that mm. son. 
that had Ryu and Chung Lee and Tommy and Gia against yes. um, against M Bison. Yes. And so, so yeah, that specifically I worked on. The other stuff, no, I didn't. Oh, okay. That was the only thing we did with Bat in the Sun. Oh, yeah. So many questions. Okay. So, um, when one of the things that I did notice in terms of the show was that you, for Beast Morphers, for, you know, a little moment, you know, I saw a little producer credit, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and it, there are so many producers. <laughs> like, there's so many executive <laughs> producers, there's so many producers. And so, was that a promotion in a sense or was that a promotion <laughs> let me just start there yeah what getting the co-producer credit yes um i guess yeah i mean it was it was you know it was recognition of the the time and um work i had put into the series at that point and um and it was a lovely gesture from brian and steve who was the set of the head of the studio at the time so I guess you could say it was a promotion. Um, I definitely feel like I earned it, but, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, I mean, absolutely it was, it was something I asked for and I received and I was very grateful to, to get it. Yeah. That's right. That's right. We got to ask for, ask for what we deserve. Okay. So, um, so let's talk about some of these aspects of, you know, what you had your hand in. I know we talked about this a little bit uh, in terms of the comics, and mm -hmm. man, it's been so. I, I felt like because I was, we were talking with the other co-hosts the other day about like, yo, like these comics have been around for a minute now. Like, yeah, they've been yeah. around for a while, right? And and it doesn't feel like that. It, does that make sense? Like, it feels like it was just yesterday that y'all done kill Tommy and that y'all <laughs> just. Like, all right, I'm I'm gonna spit a hot take, okay? <laughs> and people might might hate on me for it, but I have to do it. Because I think, you know, now that I'm now that I'm not with Saban Brands or Hasbro anymore, I can say this. Saban Brands gets a lot of crap, you guys, that I don't feel is as deserved. You know, I think um, there's a lot of justified uh, issues that people might have with the show. And I absolutely feel that's their prerogative. I never want to take anybody's opinion away from them. I mean, that's a lot of reason why I waited until now to start following a lot of the fans. Cause I didn't want them to feel like I was stalking them. I want people to have their opinion as somebody who grew up in fandom. I get it. Um, but I also, I mean, you have to also think about like, but when Saban brands bought back power Rangers, it was dead. Like oh, yeah. as much oh, yeah. as I love RPM, oh, yeah. nobody yeah. saw it. Nobody bought the toys because by that time Disney just stopped did, did not doing care. anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you think yeah. about, like Samurai was freaking huge, you guys. Those ratings, like I know quality rise, maybe some fans might not love it, and and I understand why they wouldn't, the, especially the older fans. But kids, it was like these these kids, it was their jam. Like they loved Samurai. By the time we ended Saban Brands, um. We had a movie, a big budget movie. We had, you know, good, what, six seasons of Power Rangers that had been doing fairly well. We had amazing toy sales. We were a top 10 action brand. We had comic books that people loved, critically acclaimed, award winning. We had a hit mobile PvP game. We had a console game. We have all these amazing things. Like, I remember I was having an interview with the Visual Dictionary woman um why am i calling her that i feel so bad because she's a lovely woman 
Uh, she wrote the visual dictionary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be a Power Rangers fan. You know, and I still really believe that. And it's be and it's a testament to the hard work that everybody had, at Saban brand. We had put. just and we had DVD sets. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. Like, I mean, Shout Factory was still doing amazing work. You know, I remember I had lunch with Karen um a few years ago and she was like, um, I feel like you guys made Power Rangers cool again. And you know, she's like, You can definitely tell that people are more involved and more um in love with Power Rangers. And that's a testament to the people that worked at Saban Brands. Like, I feel like Saban Brands get, gets crapped on so much, but like, you're forgetting where we came from, right? You know, and what they built up in how many years was it? Eight years? That's a lot in eight years, you know? And so that's my hot take. Let me tell you I something. I feel like Power Rangers did better under Saban Brands and now Hasbro can kill it like in a good way kill it in a good way oh. you know? <laughs> I don't mean like dead and gone I mean like keep growing the keep brand growing. Yes, keep going right, 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 um, right, right. No, I mean I thought we'd be spitting hot takes um when when the franchise was bought back by Saban right I remember our reactions to it talking about it on this show and we're just like, yo, yo, he sa- he saved Power Rangers again. What? Like we were like we were hyped. And even even if like even if the season of um, Samurai Super Samurai, even though even if they weren't our favorites, everything around that was going on with the franchise in terms of you know the DVD sets, the th- like we're getting the comics, like like there were so many other things that. We were exactly. able to appreciate that if you I don't was like the show. There's other stuff you could get into, and that's cool. Yeah. That's okay. That's why we did it. That's why Hyperforce is a thing. You yeah. know? Yeah. So so <laughs> I so like I I we I me personally talk about it all the time about how that I'm I'm very grateful that there is another outlet for us <laughs> to enjoy if we might not right. like one particular thing. So I'm very grateful. And, and I appreciate so, it. So yeah, okay. On behalf of all my hardworking uh, family at Saban Brands who worked so hard on the show, I appreciate it. Okay. I, I recognize I might be too in too deep, but <laughs> 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 but they worked so hard and they and I love them so. <laughs> oh gosh, but let's let's talk about one of them things. Let's talk about one of those things because I mean uh, you know I, I brought up you know the comics because when that thing happened when we first read that thing that happened um, and I was just like oh so we doing this oh so we're doing this so in terms of actually having comics that we want to read <laughs> how did how did that come into fruition? Um, well, so we had recently done, we had done the paper cuts comics, you know, we had the, the license was with paper cuts. Um, and they were, they were fine. They actually have a few other comics. They're really fun, but they were for that younger audience that, that was watching the show. Um, and so boom was doing some really amazing, cool, interesting things. I think, you know, who was it? Was it Alex? One of the editors, I think it was Alex who was a senior editor at the time. I think, I think, I think. And I'm wrong. Sorry, Alex, if it's not you. Um, he kept trying to get the Power Rangers license from Bo- for Boom. And so when Paper Cuts gave it up, he tried for it. And um, 
And they actually were the ones that were like, we want to do something different here. We want to try something new. Um, we want to go for that older audience that maybe is not feeling, you know, and we agreed, obviously, because we went with Boom to go with, you know, these people that are not being serviced by the show, which was the whole point, right? We wanted we wanted to have content for everybody. And I think one of the biggest challenges that we were constantly trying to address was the TV show is young. It's sell toys. You know, the toys are from three to six years old. It's really, you know, you're, you're stuck with... 22 minutes of footage. I mean, you're stuck with, you're stuck with 22 minutes. You have to include all this footage in there. You have to include all five or six Rangers. You have to include the monsters. You have to include like fights and Megazord fights. And you have to include comic relief. There's all these things that you have to stuff in there. It becomes very hard to serialize a show um, for that older audience that, you know, maybe isn't the complete target audience. Always, you know, it's somebody we, we want to appeal to them, but at the end of the day, it's a kid's show for kids, right? So how do we also keep that older audience who maybe isn't feeling as satisfied by that show engaged in the brand? You know, when people age out of the show, where do they go? Right now they had nowhere else to go. The show was the only way to engage with the brand. And so this this comic book was a way to engage with the brand on a different level where you could get that character development, that serialization that you were getting from the show. And Kyle who is brilliant. I love Kyle to death. He always said one thing that always is really, I say it all the time and I repeat it all the time because I think it makes so much sense. He pitched for the show and he said, um, I don't want to write Power Rangers the way it was. You know, I want to write Power Rangers the way it made me feel. And, um, and I think that's a very important distinction because, um, if you write Power Rangers the way it makes you feel and not the way it was, you're not limited to the cheesy action scenes and the 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 limitations that you're going to get for trying to write to a kid's show. You can go deeper. And there because it's a comic book, there's no budget. So you can really there is a budget obviously, but it's you're not limited to what you draw on the page. Right, right. So you can do these amazing things and you can really go into these moments that maybe you couldn't go into 20 years ago. Um, and so that's kind of how it all began. And I give so much credit to the boom team and to my team as well. You know, the people on our end at Spawn Brands, because we, it was an adjustment even for us, you know, like we understood what they were trying to do, but there were some things where we're like, no, 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 <laughs> you can't do that. And they're like, we want to do that. And so it became a lot of push and pull of, okay, let's figure out how, what this should be. And it was a lot of meeting of the minds, a lot of discussion, a lot of revision, a lot of patience um, from Kyle, especially, and from um, a lot of our boom teams as we're trying to figure out what kind of comic books we wanted to tell. But thankfully, I feel like it was a really great collaboration because it still continues to this day. And they've been with the brand, you know, for so long, they're still going, they're branching, they're, you know, launching two new books and um, they're going crazy. And I love it. I love it. Like I, I'm at the point now where um, I know what they're doing, but I don't know what they're doing because, right. you know, I have by the, you know, so I'm excited to see what they do because now there's not somebody like me that's being like, well, I don't know. I actually don't know if there is or not, but like I was the one that was being like, no, you can't do that. Now they can just do whatever the fuck they want. <laughs> <laughs> you better believe that. I actually don't know. That's true. They have, we, there's actually an amazing publishing team at Hasbro that's working very closely with them still. Mm -hmm. But, um, but definitely I feel like they're, um, 
they're going to come into their own and do some really cool stuff. So, was there any general notes that you're like, yeah, no, we can't do that. Even if it's comics, we can't, we can't do that. I mean, I don't want to get too detailed. Like there were things definitely just that general, um, general. Um, I don't know. I think maybe Kyle might have already talked about this, so I might be okay to share it. But like, there was an original when Tommy was killed in issue twenty five. There was an original. The original way they drew it was very R rated, and um, and it was it was there was a lot of blood, <laughs> and it was just and uh, and there was a lot of push and pull on on that for that particular reason because um, because they're like, look, we understand this is not a kids book. But kids are still going to pick up this book. So we have to thread that needle, right? We can't, yes, you can tell deeper, darker storylines. And, and absolutely, we can kill Tommy, but maybe don't do it this particular way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're about to go DC. You know, like, can we not have a blood transfusion, like, you know, in the middle of this issue? Look at we... beautiful. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful <laughs> picture, you know. Um, there was, you know, I think even like... I remember there was one part where like Tommy and Jason were supposed to get into like this huge fist fight and we're like, no, <laughs> let's not do that. It's too easy. It's too early. Let, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that like, you know, that we were kind of, it was all brand related stuff mm-hmm. that we tried. We tried to be as brand related as possible. Um, but there were super, I mean, it's a very unique relationship and the reason why it's so unique. Um, and we were so, usually a licensee is not, <sighs> A licensee has a lot more freedom, but they have, but a lot of, but the distinction here, and I think what was interesting is that Power Ranger fans consider these books canon, Yeah, you know, and, um, and if you're going to consider a book canon, if you're going to consider these books as this is fills in the blank of what happened on the TV show, then we need to be very involved because we need to make sure that whatever they do doesn't break canon even if you know we believe boom exists in its own universe and yeah there's in one can be informed by the other but maybe you know there's still you know you know fans mm. still very much want to make sure that these things all work together so oh. um and, and boom understood that too boom understood that and, and they they felt that that was what was special about the power ranger relationship too is that what they do matters you know it's not like um I don't want to call it any specific comic books, but it's not like other licensed books where they can do, they can do whatever the heck they want. But at the end of the day, fans know, Oh, it's just the comics. Mm, Like, you know, versus for us, like if something significant happens, the fans treat it as something as significant as it would happen on the TV show. Right. I mean, look at how big Draken's gotten and Ranger Slayer and the coinless universe and all these different things. I mean, my favorite arc was is probably not everybody's favorite arc, but I really love what Marguerite did with Beyond the Grid because I feel like that really explored the mythos in a way that we never were able to before. So um, so they got it. They understood. You know, Daphne has been great. I always joked for them that I was going to give them an eight by ten that they could just throw darts at whenever I gave them too many notes. <laughs> But uh, but she never took me up on that offer, so I think that was a good thing. Yeah. Now I do have a question uh, based, um, just piggybacking off of some of the things that you said. Um, so when it comes down to the actual, um, the, I guess, 
the ebb and flow of like the TV show and the boom comics. So it was never really the idea to have it be kind of like filling in the gaps, but they were just kind of like informing, informing of each other, but it was never Um, meant to like fill in the gaps. I think we did want to do that to a point. I mean, we want to explore, I mean, look, you know, the the comic books are not in the same universe as the TV show because the comic books take place in present day and the TV show takes place in the 90s, right? So already they're not in the same universe. But you can absolutely say that, you know, it's the same way I would would treat Hyperforce. And again, this is all me and what I say doesn't matter anymore because I don't work for Hasbro. So whatever they decide moving forward, that's the new whatever they decide, Mm -hmm. right? In my opinion, the way I always approached it, the way Brian approached it um, when we were working with the teams was like, we should not have, Chip should not be like, Chip should be have freedom to do what he needs to do on his show. And we help him inform, we help him inform that. So like, you know, as beef morphers, we were definitely very, well, no, we can't do that because we did this, or we can't do that because we want to do this here. But you know, it's at the end of the day, it, you know, it's Chip's show, just like it's Kyle's books or Ryan's book, right? Mm-hmm. So our job is not to right. order everybody around. We're not ty- tyrannical. You know, our job is to make sure that the brand is cohesive and to make sure that we are telling the best stories we can tell in the medium that they're meant to be told. But mm-hmm. um, so you will have, you know, the TV show continuity, which I'm going to be honest, guys, it's really hard to put together anyways, <laughs> you know? So you want, you don't want to add, you don't want to force chips to like, and, and Becca and all these people to have to put in all that boom continuity too, because that's a lot of stuff that then they have to worry about that they shouldn't have to, when they're already having to figure out how to worry about everything else. Like I, like I would wait, stay up at night wondering how I was, I'm actually relieved I'm not there anymore. Cause I was like, how are we going to handle SPD? How are we going to handle SPD? How are we going to handle SPD? <laughs> yo, and, yo, and like so, just, just, I mean, even when SPD was happening, when it was happening, we were just like, yo, like 2020 or 2025, whichever they want to choose, which one it is, uh, like, that's tomorrow. I like, was, and we like, said it I then. Tomorrow. I legit wanted to call them up and be like, I don't I don't forget it was Anne or Jackie and be like, why did you do this to us? But, you know, but, uh, but that was their prerogative, the same with Chip. So, um, you know, the boom comic books, we want to make sure they all work in their own universe. We want to make sure Hyperforce works. But just like the way Hyperforce told these stories in between, you know, I think they're meant to be informed by the others. So you could say, you know, hey, this really happened with Tommy. Or, but you also don't want to, like, just assume that it's it has to happen. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. Completely. Okay. So let's move on to another topic here. All right. We talked a little bit, just a smidge, uh, about, the, about the 2017 movie. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So, um, first of all, I am not going to lie, low-key jealous, right? I wish I could have just been on, just been a fly on the wall when all that was happening. Uh And, um, and how long from when it's like, yo, we want to do a movie till it actually being, how, how long was that process? I mean, movies happen fast, y'all. Like movies are quick. Um, 
I mean, you just pay pay attention like pay attention when you see it when it, what time is the movie announced versus like what time it gets released. Usually, it's a good year, eighteen months, twenty four months. It go it time goes really really fast. So, um, I think it was maybe two or three years. I have to I remember. I mean, it's fuzzy for me, mm-hmm. but there was a lot of. You know, it depends on the movie, and this is not speaking purely to Power Rangers, but other franchises as well. I mean, you you basically, you know, it's everything is determined based on the release date. So a release date is identified, and then, you know, you work towards that release date. And if that release date moves for one reason or another, then you adjust. But... By the time the move from the time that the movie is saying it gets greenlit into in terms of okay we're gonna do a Power Rangers movie to a movie being released in theaters you have to identify a writer identify a concept identify a director make sure the director is on board with the writer with the writer's draft and if not then you rewrite the writer's draft then you have to I mean then you have to actually go into pre-pro. So you got to make sure that budget wise, everything works that you got to, I mean, for power Rangers, it was redesigning the suits, redesigning the Zords, redesigning all this stuff. And then once you go into production, then you do production, but most of the stuff happens in post, right? So you were production for what a good, you know, 60 days or whatever, how long it takes to film this movie. And then because it's a special effects heavy shoot, then everything happens in post. And so it becomes, and then, you know, you get, all these different cuts and then you have the cuts done and then you go into testing and then you revise and then you do your marketing. And so it can be months, but it goes really fast. Like you think it's a long time, but it's not, it's very quick. Um, especially when you have, when you're running up against a release date. So, um, sometimes there is no release date and you have a little bit more time. It really just depends. But if especially a toy heavy movie, and this is for any toy heavy movie, I don't know how it works now in quarantine world, but you know, the way it would work before is that, you know, you have people selling toys to markets, to Walmarts and targets. And at the time toys R us, and they have a specific date when those toys are going to be on shelf. And you cannot miss that date because they've already put aside that time for you. So Mm. once the toys are locked in place and you have all these people working on those toys for that time, then you have people that are doing assumptions based on, oh, we're going to sell this much and that factors into their budget, right? So then you're, you're you're messing with people's budget if you mess with that date. So once the date's pretty locked in stone, it's just a matter of making that date. Um, Especially big money for these companies. It's, you know, everything's about the assumed financials and what you're, if you're going to hit your quarter targets and assumptions based on what quarter targets you're going to hit, you know, so it's all down to the money guys. (laughs) At the end of the day. I mean, but I mean, in in terms of the 20, yeah. In terms of the 2017 movie, the the dates got moved. Okay. It was not always March. So, right. So were there some happy people? Were there some relieved people? There were some not so happy people. I mean, I mean, the day got moved. Um, I'd say what I would always say, I'm not going to say too much about it because I can't. What I would say is if the date gets moved, it's usually for a very good reason. And it's not because anybody is, you know, it's not because somebody's having a pouty attack. It's usually done very strategically. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Good. Okay. Okay. Uh, And I mean, I mean, like for us in terms of the movie itself, we, 
another outlet in terms of like, yay, something for us, that that we were we were thrilled that we were all ears for any announcements for the movie. Uh, the, oh, yeah. you know, how, you know, it was going to be brought to the big screen, the cast, everything. Um, how much involvement did you have uh, with the movie? Um, I had more involvement in development um, than I did, I think, with actual production. Okay. So, um, so I was, because I wasn't in Canada, uh, but filming the movie. So, um, and a lot of the times I was the lowest rank executive in the room. So, um, when push to time decisions were made quickly, I wasn't involved in a lot of those decisions, but when it comes, but I was very lucky in that I was in a lot of those meetings and I got to be in the room for the big the bigger decisions and i got to meet the directors and the writers and, and give notes and and give all that fun stuff um and i got to see i got to be involved in the post process too um but the production itself you know um i had some visibility but at the end of the day that was stuff that was above my pay grade by that time got you got yeah got you so most of my work was in development and post okay so then, so let's move on to another, you know, like, like, all these games, child. We have all of these games, <laughs> whether it be tabletop, whether it be mobile, console, yeah. uh, every, all the games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to lie, as a person, as a, as a, as a little, a beginner, a small, tiny, just a teensy-weensy gamer, um, it's hard to get to find where you fit in in terms of because like we we started with the I believe we started the mobile game right yeah. so and remember what i said if there was a story narrative involved then i was involved and my job was to make sure that brand wise the story and the mythology worked so when it came to whatever it was whether it was a comic book a game um you know for example heroes of the grid i was looking at the art and i was saying no, this, you know, this is wrong. This might be wrong. You're missing this, especially for the Hyperforce character art, um, because a lot of the weapons hadn't been seen, and I was the only one that had the assets. You know, that kind of stuff happens. For the games itself, it was working with the with the business affairs team and the licensing team and the product team with Enway to decide, you know, because remember, we were the de facto Power Rangers experts, or my department was. So we were the ones that they were relying to recommend what, what rangers do you think should be in there? What should we call this thing? Like, what are the, um, what do we call when people earn coins? You know, um, what kind of story are we going to tell? Um, that's the stuff I would be involved with. So, so that's why you kind of see my name pop up every freaking where, because, um, because if there was a story, chances are I saw it. And I was giving comments on that sort. So we did, like I said, every day was different. So I did get to work on some really cool stuff. So I got to work on the on the PvP game. I got to know the guys at Enway really, really well. The people at Lionsgate. I got to play. Um, I got to voice a couple characters in the Battle for the Grid because I helped I saw produce. That credit. I saw that credit. Yeah. Okay. Because I produced the the voice, the voice, um, the story mode. Mm. So. Um, you know, I got to be on set for Street Fighter Showdown. I got to be on set for Kyle's short for Shattered Grid. I got to, um, 
you know, I got to work with Renegade Studios for with uh, the Heroes of the Grid expansion. I got to work on the live tour at Hasbro. Um, I got to do a lot of cool stuff, and that's only because my job was not necessarily to be the just the TV executive, but to be the Power Ranger. By that time, my job was to be the Power Ranger expert to make sure everything was made sense from a Power Rangers lore perspective, from a Power Rangers perspective. Does that I, make sense? I have a yes. I have a quick question though. It's about the um, the game, the Inway um, game. Yeah. When it came down to like the specific characters that you chose, is there like a roster that you look at, like where you're like, okay, we're, these are the ones we're gonna get, or like it's how does always team based, always, always, always. So oh, when it okay. started, obviously it was very different to what it is now because okay when they started, anyway was just starting a Power Rangers game. They needed to rely on us to tell them, well, here's what we think the most power, the characters are going to be the most popular, right? But mm-hmm. Enway's been doing this for three years now. So Enway, you know, knows now they don't need our help as much as they used to in terms of what Rangers need to come next because they're hearing the feedback from the fans. Mm-hmm. By this time, they've had people that have been working with the brand three years they know who love Power Rangers and know it as well as we do at this point. And so they're going to be like, well, people are really asking for this character or we really want to put this character. But at that, by the end, by the end, it was more of, hey, guys, we have these really cool Omega Rangers that are coming to sh- to the comic books. Maybe think about putting them in the game, you know, um, that sort of thing versus the beginning where we we're literally drawing up rosters and being like, OK, here's uh... you need to think about it. In the same with Boom. It's it's but at the beginning with any licensee, you're gonna have a little bit of a learning curve because Power Rangers is just so in depth and there's so much lore. And a lot of times you're gonna have a lot of people who only know Mighty Morphin. Right. And if you're trying to do an older game, you need to move beyond Mighty Morphin to yes. get the you know, to get super fans to Amen. care more because they're so tired of Mighty Morphin. But the casual fans only know Mighty Morphin and they only care about Mighty Morphin. So you kind of do this dance, right? Right. Um, And so that's kind of what we did. It was a lot of just, you know, I would usually do what I called a debrief. It was like a two or three hour summit, a Power Ranger summit, where I'd be like, welcome to Power Rangers. Here's everything you need to know in three hours. And like, even I think for Anaway, I went to San Francisco and I was like, here's my, you know, 60 page deck about Power Rangers. And I even did, I think I did a quiz at the end. Like I would do these summits. I want to go to this summit so bad. (laughs) Okay. You know, where I'd be like, here, hey guys, welcome to Power Rangers. Here's A, B, and C. Here's the history of Power Rangers. Here's this, here's that. Like, so it was a lot of just hand-holding at the beginning. But with Enway, I mean, they've, they've been doing it a lot. I mean, they did two games now. They've been doing it a long time. They kind of don't need the hand-holding as much anymore. You know, they kind of, they got this, right? So now they work with the digital production, the digital gaming team. Mm. Um, Mandy, Kristen, those amazing ladies on that team. And um, and obviously still, they're still, and Lionsgate's still involved with that. And so there's a lot of input that goes either way. But they got this at this point. You know, I mean, they all know Power Rangers. They've been there for three years. Same with Boom, right? They got this. Like, <laughs> they've been doing it for a really long time. Like, they know what they're doing now. Um, so it's a lot of hand-holding at the beginning. And then it's a lot of just management. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, look, let me, I, I know that there are you mentioned like you know one day could you know go, is different from the next any yeah. was there any 
any tasks that were that were extremely unusual or difficult to that you had to overcome um, during your tenure? From what perspective? Um, let's say that from the perspective of um, either maybe like there need there was a deadline that you didn't think that could be met and then you 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 you, you gathered you gathered the troops and then you made made it happen or um something that you weren't expecting to be asked to do um in in the scope of your of your of your uh, position but you're like okay all right this is we're um, going to do this all right trying to give you a story i haven't already told let me think um the story mode for legacy for battle for the grid was one that was definitely a, how are we going to do this kind of situation? Because um, we always wanted to do one, but you know, I mean, it's an indie game. There's not a huge budget. How are we going to get it done? We're trying to get it done in a certain amount of time. And it really was just a push. Um, it was a lot of, of work for me and the producer and Enway. And to Enway's credit, they were like, okay, we can't do it, but if you guys want to do it for us, cool. You know, and so it was um, because they just didn't have the manpower. They were already working so hard. Mm-hmm. And so it was a lot of, you know, just getting together and being like, okay, are we going to do this? Cool. Let me call Kyle. And let me call Dan and like call in every favor I have to put together what we think is going to be an amazing story mode. And then it was going, you know, getting Kyle on board, who was fantastic and, you know, flying him to San Francisco and, um, and then sitting in there for a day being like, okay, we have 10 characters. These are the things that need each character needs to achieve. What is, you know, I knew that we wanted to tell a shattered grid story because I felt like that story made a lot of sense. Um, in that, you know, it was already really well received by the fans. I'm sure they'd really love playing it, but also casuals would get a kick out of it who didn't maybe know the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, we're like, okay, well, we, but, you know, we have some shattered, and we had some shattered grid characters in there already because, you know, Draken was in there and Ranger Slayer was in there. So, like, okay, let's tell a shattered grid story, but. How do we re- how do we reframe it so it makes sense for this kind of medium? And then it was a matter of like, okay, but we need voices. So then it was okay, who do, who can we call? Who can we bring in? Like, who can we you know? And again, it was you know calling Jason, calling Austin, calling David, um, and being like, can you please do this for us? And, David and, Fielding. Yeah. Okay. And um, I mean, and you know, David flew out. Uh, Austin flew out. We flew Kyle to Texas to record Jason because he was super crazy, but he still made time to do it. Um, I remember we had we couldn't get Amy, but we had Megan for for Kimberly, who she had done an amazing job already under Shattered Grid Live, so she was a perfect fit for that. And um, and then we got some amazing what Kyle Herbert and Carrie Carrie I forget her last name, but she did an amazing Rita. Um, they did some extra voices for us because we had a very limited budget. So we had to really decide who we wanted to be in this game. And then, um, and then at the end of it, we still didn't have enough voices and we had no money. <laughs> so I had to jump in there and voice a couple characters. I had Amanda who was Lionsgate voice a character. Um, <laughs> but it. we got it done, you know? Um, and then it was a matter of like, you know, working with anyway to produce those cinematics and to make sure that the, the, you know, Kyle and I did the scratch track. 
like one night we went i went over to kyle's place and we sat at his computer and recorded Wait, the whole game yeah kyle okay. higgins yeah okay yeah, Kyle Higgins and I did this. Nice. Um, so we literally went over there and like I was Rita and I was Finster and like we were just playing, like reading each other the lines so that they could cut these cinematics together. It was, it was a testament to when you're passionate about something, you make it work, <laughs> right? And um, and I think it came out really well. So, but I that mean, was definitely one that was like, okay, we have no money and no time. Let's go. Because I mean, I I mean, I wasn't. I, we weren't expecting a story mode. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I was just like, oh, okay, a story? This is, okay, great. So, um, I thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, uh, facilitating that. Well, I mean, that. credit to Enway and to Lionsgate who were like, okay, let's do this. We're gonna do this. And again, like, that's why I said I'm so lucky that, you know, have people that are just as passionate who don't get the credit that they deserve because they do work so hard. Um, they're just not as front-facing. Right. You know, because they're working. Right. <laughs> Right. You right. mentioned you've mentioned uh, many women uh, behind the scenes that um, do help and do and do contribute to uh, what we love and enjoy. And I just I guess I just want to talk a little bit about being a woman in this industry mm -hmm. and and how to navigate how here's 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 a better question. How was it to navigate from when you first started? And how does it compare now? Well, definitely a different world. I will absolutely say that. Um, I think you don't think about it a lot. You just, you survive, you do it. And especially, I think it also, because remember, I'm coming from, I'm a Latina, I'm a gay woman, I'm from the ghetto. Like, um, there's a lot of challenges I had already overcome before I would even thought about being in the industry. Mm -hmm. Right. And a lot of things that mm -hmm. I just absolutely understand about myself, if I'm going to be in the industry, I have to, you know, I have to be okay with the fact that people are going to think I'm a bitch sometimes because I, if I'm trying, if I have to, uh, cause I have to be aggressive in the room if I want to be heard. Um, there's times where, you know, I'm going to understand that I'm going to be ignored, that I'm going to be overlooked, that I have to work three times as hard to be noticed for something that maybe somebody else would have a much easier time of. Those are just realities, not just in the t entertainment industry, but in the world in general, right? So when you apply them to the entertainment industry, what I will say, I was very lucky to work for the people that I did because I did not have, I never felt unheard by Haim. Um, Haim loves strong women. <laughs> Like his, his boardrooms were always incredibly diverse and full of strong. I never felt that I had to, I never felt the, uh, an otherness when I was in a, a boardroom with Haim. Um, Brian had always been, has always been fantastic to me. I mean, I taught Brian about the Bechdel test and he like, I remember, um, like two years later he was referencing it himself and I'm like, I'm so proud of him. You know, but and for um, the folks who don't know what this test is, if you can, the Bechtel test is, um, oh God, I'm gonna say a really non-scientific answer because I, I explained it better before. But essentially, the Bechtel test is if you are a woman, you have to have a, sh a story where there are two women talk to each other at least once, and it's not about guys. Mm. Um, there's also the sexy lamp test. Which is, if you can replace a woman in a story with a sexy lamp, and it does not change the story, then you have failed. <laughs> so, um, 
And it's scary that those were the benchmarks, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. Um, but thankfully, because I was working for Power Rangers, that was never an issue because Power Rangers has always been incredibly diverse and incredibly um, inclusive in terms of women and racial identity. Um, so that was not something I ever really had to worry about because everybody was on board with that. Um, personally, um, and I'm not going to say when or how or whatever, that's not, I'm not here to start drama. Um, yes, as a female, I've absolutely felt ignored. I've absolutely, I've been in rooms and I'm not going to tell you what part of my industry where, um, you know, I, I was told, you know, you have zero talent, you have zero creative instincts. You've never shown me anything that tells me that you have anything to give. Um, I've had, you know, a guy that, you know, would throw things, um, throw things. Oh throw yeah. Things. Yeah. Thankfully never at me. Um, I had, but yeah, uh, there was, people can get away with some really crappy stuff. Thankfully, I feel like we're, we're at a turn in this industry where that's just no longer tolerated. Um, and it was, and like I said, under Haim and Brian, I was always, I always felt very safe. Like that was never an issue. Um, but, um, but in terms of just the way it works, I think from my perspective, did I ever have anybody being overtly racist, overtly sexist to me? Um, not, no, because I was always protected. Did I understand some things that were maybe not about that, but absolutely were? Absolutely. Um, did I see it? more than I wanted to again, not under, like, I'm going to say like very specifically, this is like, um, I, I, I've had a long, I've had a, a, a wide variety of jobs and, and I, you know, I never worked. There was things I just didn't do specifically for power Rangers. Right. 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 I think I, and I don't, this isn't the right way to say it, but you don't realize how, it, how bad it could be until you're out of it. If that makes sense. Um, you kind of just learn to survive it. And I think, I don't know if that's the right thing to do. I think, um, there were definitely times where, you know, somebody said like, that's not okay. And I didn't even realize it wasn't okay until they told me, no, the way that you were treated right now is absolutely not okay. I never thought that that was something that I could speak up to and say. I just thought it was something that I could manage. I was always the person that could manage difficult people very well. Mm. Um, but again, it's a survivor's instinct because I'm still all those things. I'm still a gay female plus size Latina trying to work in an industry where the norm is skinny, beautiful Caucasian people. And, um, and I have to prove that I am more talented than anybody else in the room to get people to listen to me. Um, and thankfully people do, you know, I, I've been very lucky in that, you know, again, I've been, there's been times I've been the only female in the room. There've been times I've been the only Latina in the room. Um, and I've still felt like I was heard. Um, but there were also times when there was, you know, every ethnicity under the sun in the room and there was more women than men in the room mm -hmm. um so and that's always more recently than before you know so 
definitely I do feel the industry is changing. I do think it has a ways to go, but I do think in terms of Power Rangers, and I can't say, I can't speak to the dynamic now because I'm just not there. Right. But I will say they always felt ahead of the curve for me in terms of not just the fans, but the people behind the scenes because they truly believed in what they were preaching. They truly believed that men and women were equal. They truly believed that every race should be represented. They truly believed in inclusion and that, you know, that's why we had, I mean, that's why we had a, a, a questioning, you know, yellow ranger and we had a autistic blue ranger in the movie because it was things that they believed in doing. And, um, and it's, it's very difficult in this industry to have people put their money where their mouth is. And I'm, I am proud of that. Um, that it is something they continue to strive and push for. I would love to add to that. I, I don't, me personally, I really, really appreciated that, that Trini was questioning. Um, because I just felt like that was just it. Like I, I, I identified with it so much, especially like being a teenager and having that same like feeling and kind of having that same thing that she kind of went through in the movie, kind of like hitting those same beats. I was like, oh my gosh, like that was me at one point. And like, yeah. it was just, it was just so just, I, I loved it. I want to, I want to say thank you personally. It was just like, wow, I really yeah. thank you guys for hitting that in there. Oh, I appreciate it. I mean, as again, like for me, the same thing, I always, I always felt, you know, one thing I always argued and I will continue to argue is that, you know, it's not progressive anymore just to be diverse. You know, mm. we're talking ourselves about inclusion. We need to think about true inclusion. And that includes sexuality and that includes uh, mental, you know, disabilities or um, people on the spectrum. And, right. you know, especially Power Rangers, I think we over-index in those, those types of people because we've always embraced the other. We've always mm. said what's really special about Power Rangers is that it's not like Marvel where you have to have you have to be like bitten by a spider or be a god from Norse mythology or, you know, <laughs> even Batman, you know, where you have to be a billionaire. Like literally anybody can be a ranger. You just have to be the best person, the best version of yourself, whatever that is. And what I love about Power Rangers is that it's not always about like this one ranger it's about the team you're not stronger than the team what is going to make you amazing is going to be what you can offer to the team and if you have a weakness that's okay because there's somebody else that's strong in that side of it and you know that's why you have the smart guy you know and that's why you have the really sensitive girl because their their strengths are going to outweigh the weakness from maybe the guy that's all physical but maybe isn't as emotional and that's very, that's priceless. And I think that's a really great thing to tell a kid. And like, you can be the best version of you. You are, you are a hero. You just have to think about, you know, be kind to people and take care of the world and take care of yourself and be as the best person, a version of you. And you're a, you're a superhero. And I think that's why little kids especially gravitate towards Power Rangers because they're so, they have so little power when you're that age to be told you, you have power, just you, the way you are. And that's amazing. It's so special. Before we go, I would love to, I would love to hear about the things that you've got going on currently, right? You got this little, you know, you have, you have some things. 
I got some things. I got some things. I can't really talk too much about them. Um, what I will say is, um, I, it was, it was time for me to go. Um, I had been with Power Rangers for 10 years. Um, and I am excited to do something else. Um, as much as I love Power Rangers, and, you know, a part of me is always going to ache a little bit because I know what's coming and I'm excited for what's coming. And so once in a while, I'm just like, oh, I'm so mad that I'm not there to see that. I'm also just really excited to do my own thing. Like one of the things that I've always wanted to be was a writer and a creative. And um, and I know I have that part of me. I know that that's inside and it's been aching to come out in my whole time. And I just never, I, I got into doing, I love being a producer and I love being a development executive, but I really want to embrace that part of myself, you know, write, produce what I write and, um, and work with people that I want to work with. And, um, and so that's what I've been doing. Um, so I've got some cool stuff I can't really talk too much about, but there's, you know, one specifically that I'm really excited about that I'm working on with, um, strawberry 17. Um, that's going to be really cool. And, um, and some other things. So it's going to be months, you know, I mean, this thing is not, these things don't happen quickly, but, um, but that's kind of what I'm doing. And I'm also, you guys, I, you know what I realized I hadn't taken like a two week vacation in like 10, 15 years. And so I honestly was just excited not to have to go to work. Like it was just nice <laughs> just, to stay, just to stay home. <laughs> Like, what is this waking up at nine? What is, and then of course the pandemic hit and I was like, okay, I'm over it. But, right, you right. know, but that was nice. It was nice not to like, even when I was working and I would take vacation, I was constantly like looking at my Blackberry, or not, but that's how old I am, looking at my phone um, and looking at checking my email and like, just, you know, like there was, I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, it was and more of a just... workation than a vacation. Yeah, which was, I mean, the one thing that sucks because it's all about me and who cares about the pandemic is that I can't travel. Uh, but no, I'm kidding. Um, I, that's probably what I would have been doing now, but I'm honestly just enjoying writing and just getting developing and, and working with people and like reaching out to people and having people reach out to me. Um, I just kind of deep, debriefing like just like taking a break resetting myself like you don't realize how what a fast pace you work until you stop it this is and, true uh, this is yeah. true yeah. the pandemic yeah. itself has really really taught a lot of people like oh wow okay we were doing way too much way too much right. and and had to put some things in perspective and so yeah. Well, it was so funny as I was, I remember the day I, the day I left, I remember driving home and I was talking to somebody, I think it was actually, God, was it Catherine? It was Catherine or it was, um, Nakia and, um, or Daphna. I don't know. One of those three, I was talking to them about something. And then I was like, you know what? I just realized it's not my problem anymore. Like if I see something happen online, if I have to look at something that's get leaked, if I have to do, you know, if I'm like, Oh, that's wrong. I'm like, well, that's not my problem. I don't have to worry about it. It's not my problem. And it was like the most freeing, nice moment that I've had in a really long time. Cause I'm like, it's not my problem anymore. I don't have to worry about this. I don't have to think about how to handle this because this has nothing to do with me anymore. 
And um, as much as I love, love, love Power Rangers, and I always will, and I love, and I did put so much blood, sweat, and tears into it, I'm excited to to ha- be as excited about my own stuff and really do what I want to do and instead of um, have to think about what's best for, you know, this $150 million or whatever, how, however I don't even know how much it's how much do they pay for it now like 500 huh. some million yeah million. See, yep. there you go yeah yeah yeah. 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 yeah yeah more money than all of us put together yeah nice i just have to get over my um what is it called uh when you're when you don't think you're good oh imposter syndrome yes imposter syndrome is a bitch, y'all Ooh, child. Uh, yes it is <laughs> yeah but uh, you know so that that's always a thing but it's been fun and it's people have been amazing actually um this yep. other thing that you've been doing, you know, on on the Twitch. I'm just saying. Oh, I've been streaming. That's right. I also stream now because I got really bored. <laughs> <laughs> and it's fantastic. It's been super sweet. Yeah, so I do stream on Twitch. I stream on Twitch a couple times a week now. Um, I'm pulling back from it a little bit, honestly, because I've gotten actually busy doing other things. And it's just, um, but it's been fantastic. People have been super lovely. And I have a lovely little community that um, joins me. And Honestly, I just really like playing video games, so it's been a lot of fun, and it's a really good way, I think, for Power Ranger fans to come on and just to ask me questions, and if I can answer them, I will, and they've been really great about asking and being super, super friendly and sweet, and I've just really enjoyed that, too. Yeah. So, people, y'all can find Melissa on twitch.tv slash Misty underscore Flores, and the link will be in the show notes of the show. Yes, it will, because, you know, we like to especially promote the things that people do after Power Rangers. So whatever, any time that you have a project, a thing, or whatever, please come back on the show. We'll talk some more. We will promote the things, because that's what we do. You know what I'm saying? Oh, don't don't promise me that, because I promise you will love what we're doing next. It's going to be super fun. Right, you're gonna put a pin in that. We're just gonna like just save a future date, you know what I'm saying? But blah, we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, I thank you so much for coming and spending some time with us. I mean, literally, I could talk with you, with you about all the things Power Rangers and not for a very long time. But you know, people got things to do, stuff to see, places to well, not places to go. We're kind of inside their house right. <laughs> so for thank you sure. <laughs> thank you of so course, much again of course you always really touch when you came up I told you I remember that I remember when you came up to me and you were like a female and I'm like yes I exist <laughs> um, I've never forgotten that so of course I was happy to do this I appreciate the invitation 